Well, hello and welcome to episode 139 of the Cool Room Podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, David Griffiths, and we have a very, very special episode coming up today uh, with Sierra Nevada. Special not just because they are fantastic guests, but also special because we recorded it live at Beer Deluxe in Federation Square in Melbourne. Uh, and for that reason, the audio will be a little bit different in this one to uh, some of the others that you may have listened to in the past. Uh, but I really hope that you'll get into this episode and enjoy it. It was a fantastic day. I want to do a big shout out to the team from Beer Deluxe, uh, David and all the team who did the pouring of the beers for us. We were really lucky to have most of these beers that we're going to be talking about today on tap. Uh, and also a shout out to Talina Menzies. Uh, they put together just the most awesome array of food. The menu was fantastic. Uh, you'll hear many references to that along the way. Uh, certainly one of the absolute highlights of all of the episodes we've ever done of The Cool Room. Uh, if it's your first time listening with us, uh, welcome on board. Welcome into the cool room. Uh, we have heaps of live events and also online masterclasses where we deliver beer out to people. Uh, you can have the beers in front of you while we talk to the brewers online and you can be part of those interviews and join us on Zoom. Uh, and then you can always uh, listen back to the podcast version later on if you missed out on some of the information. Uh, to get those beers, you go to our Shopify, uh, just search Cool Room Podcast Shopify, uh, and something you'll be finding in there at the moment is a couple of special things that we have to celebrate this Sierra Nevada episode. Uh, we've got some really fun Sierra Nevada beers. We've got the Life and Limb, which is a 10% uh, American strong ale. We have the Celebration, which you'll hear reference to along the way. Uh, that's a, just a delicious hoppy beer. comes in singles or four-packs. And we also have the Narwhal, the Imperial Stout, and you'll hear a bit more about that along the way. Uh, please follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, Please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, those are great ways that you can keep things ticking along. And of course, please buy some beers from our online store. That's what helps to keep the whole enterprise ticking along. Okie dokie, without any further ado, let's get underway with Byron and Terence from Sierra Nevada. Sheridan from Sierra Nevada, welcome to Melbourne. It's uh, great to have you guys back on the pool room. It's been about... Two years, I think, now since you first joined us, but it's excellent to see your faces again. And I'm just checking that everyone out there is happy with the audio in the big room. That's, I'm getting some nods. Wonderful, Byron, Terence. Many of the people who were on the podcast with us two years ago are joining us in the flesh for lunch today. But let's start with a few basic sort of things. Can you introduce each other? And then let's just sort of hear the really basic version of the history of the brewery, which we'll explore more as we go through today's lineup of drinks. You can go, Byron. Um, so I'm Byron Wetch. I'm tour supervisor at Sierra Nevada. I've been there, I'll actually be 15 years in September. Um, yeah, it's been a pretty crazy, wild ride. Um, I met, met Terrence. Uh, I used to work in the gift shop holding T-shirts and slinging beer in there. That's where I started. And uh, every Monday, I'd see, uh, back when the pub was closed, I would see Terrence and Steve Dressler and Stan Cooper and Bart Whipple. Uh, they'd come into the gift shop, get a 12-pack of pale ale, head to the nearest taco truck, uh, 
in town and you know i just saw those four guys going for lunch on mondays and i'm like someday i want to be one of those guys so uh after years and years of bothering terrence he's finally let me uh do these things and yeah it, it's been great it's been it's been a crazy crazy thing in the 15 years we've doubled uh brewery capacity added the second brewery uh almost tripled our uh, employments from you know when i started there was like about 400 employees and now there's 100 employees and yeah it's been pretty crazy so terrence you know you got anything yeah. to add to that well um so uh i always tell byron uh watch what you wish for because um, now you got to do these things with me <laughs> so uh, <laughs> anyways uh, I'm, I'm Terrence Sullivan I've been with uh, Sierra Nevada um, May was my 28th year uh, on board uh, with Team Sierra Nevada I, I started out um, as a graveyard brewer and worked my way up uh, seller manager I now do um, I did some PR stuff traveled around the country uh, doing beer dinners, uh, whenever I was kind of realized I didn't like managing people. Uh, I like to manage beer. It listens a little bit better, um, uh, most of the time. Uh, so, so that's my, uh, that, that's kind of my venture into marketing. And, uh, now I do a lot of our like small brand stuff. So, um, we're, we're developing, you know, as maybe some of you know, uh, beyond beer is kind of uh, on this uptick wave in uh, the U.S. So, you know, th things like kombucha and seltzers and uh, teas and you things like that nature. Can make us all our first seltzer reference, please? A new sort of game that we play about how quickly yeah. we start talking about yeah. seltzer. That's yeah. pretty cool. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy <laughs> talk. That is crazy talk. <laughs> I am lucky enough that all the, the limited release and uh innovation beers uh i get a look after the beer side of it so I, I which is is my passion and my love so uh so that's pretty cool i've been doing that for the last few years and we're starting to get our pilot system and our innovation team all dialed in uh in both locations and uh it's been really fun to kind of have these little one-off releases that uh uh keep us cool with the kids as they say <laughs> so uh, well, we're going to get to play with quite a few of those today we've got a, a pretty cool. amazing lineup of beers and so lucky to have you both here to, to be able to talk us through some of those our favorite sound so good, good to hear that yeah. sound coming through um <laughs> i'm sure pretty much everyone who's in the room will know the basic story of sierra nevada but just just to be on the safe side can you tell us a little bit about uh where you're located, what it's physically like, and what it's like to be in the, in the tap room and the brewery out there, just to, to paint a bit of a picture. Um, yeah, so so kind of how, how it all started. Uh, 1980 uh, was our, our founding year, but it started many years before that. Uh, Ken Grossman, um, still a family-owned brewery. Uh, he and his family own it. Uh, now, but uh, Ken uh, had a passion for uh, home brewing, also a lot of other stuff. Uh, he loved to like tear apart cars and rebuild them. And uh, he was a, uh, a road bike junkie. And um, w when he was in his teens, uh, one of his neighbors, uh, I believe next door neighbor, uh, father was a rocket scientist uh, in Southern California, uh, but he loved to 
make his own wine and make his own beer. Um, of course, as the kids started, uh, so Ken's, Ken's older brother, Steve, uh, two years older than him. Um, and I had an older brother too. I think older brothers are great for influencing uh, um, debauchery on their younger siblings. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, the neighbor kids started figuring out like, oh, well, you know, that the next door neighbor's dad makes wine and makes beer and um, and he had a kegerator in his backyard. And so the kids started, uh, hitting the kegerator and he started figuring it out and said, Hey, you guys can't drink my beer anymore, but I'll teach you how to make it. And so when Ken was about 14, 15, uh, he learned how to make, make beer and, uh, really started getting into it and really enjoying it. And, uh, when he, he, uh, assisted a friend that was moving to Chico, California. So Chico is about a three hour drive north of San Francisco. Um, it's in the upper um, uh, valley of California. So it's a big agricultural area, but it's right at the foothills uh, of where the Sierra Nevada mountains and the Cascade mountains meet. Um, and so there's a lot of great outdoor activities up in the mountains and cool streams, uh, great water, um, all those kind of things. But uh, there's also a uh, state uh, school uh, university uh, up here that his friend was uh, going to attend. So Ken helped him move up here, fell in love with the area, called his mom and said, I'm, I'm, I'm riding my bicycle home. I'm going to grab all my stuff. I'm moving to Chico, California. Uh, and then uh, started working at bike shops, opened up a homebrew shop. Um, and his brother had, had met a, uh, another home brewer in Southern California, Paul Camusi, uh, and Paul and Ken got together and they started making beer and they started making beer for people's parties and, uh, and they really got into it and honed their skills. Uh, and then that's about when, um, like new Albion was opening up anchor steam was starting to see a resurgence with Fritz Maytag. And so they put a plan together um, and, and built Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, uh, a little small little shed uh, that still stands to this day. We don't own it anymore. Um, well, I don't think he ever owned it. Um, and then in the 80s, he moved into the location where we're at in Chico, California. Uh, 2000, Byron, why don't, you, why don't you go with the, the rest of the story of uh, expanding out to North Carolina? So, yeah, and even here in Chico, it was is quite the growth. The, the old brewery is actually now occupied by a tire repair shop and an Asian food store. It's right south of here. There's a little Quonset hut type thing. and love to show people that. Um, Chico, to our present location in Chico, we moved there uh, in 1989. Ken had actually purchased a uh, defunct brewery from uh, a German brewer in a little town called Off Schaffenberg. Uh, he bought it for scrap copper prices way back in the day, sawed it in half, dragged it back here, and it all sat in warehouse until about 87 when he purchased about two of the acres of land that we're on. Um, if you ever visit here, I can show you the original two-acre footprint. Um, expanded out from that, Terrence actually had a big part in building the West Side expansion with their two 200-barrel uh, brew system that went online in 1998. And then uh, about seven, eight years ago, we started to hit the level with that. Um, so Ken spent uh, probably a little bit too much time looking for a place. 
but um, really was looking for a community that um, you know was a lot like Chico. If you were to see this wish list, you would have been like, "Can you're never going to find a place like that." Um, and we built uh, chose Asheville actually is a uh, one night Terrence was talking about this fun little mountain town in North Carolina called Asheville and was like, you guys got to go check this place out. You got to see it. And I, I knew of Asheville because it was like a music stop on the East coast. And they have a famous uh, music club out there called the orange peel that, you know, any touring band from, you know, if you're touring the South, you're heading North to the chowder belt, uh, you have that little, uh, extra place you need to get a little bit of gas money for and the orange peel was this famous venue that everybody used to play and terrence was like you gotta check it out and so um ended up going there and uh built that brewery uh it's on about 200 acres of land uh it is definitely i always like to say our brewery in chico is like uh ken bought a studio apartment and then built a house on top of that and then built another house on top of that house on top of that studio apartment uh it, it's a great example of probably how you shouldn't design a brewery, you know, because it's like if you built a six level apartment and you cut the water off on level two, you've cut the level water level off on three, four, five and six because it's just built like that. And then Mills River is built very much, um, you know, like you got to build your dream home and move in. And it's very we always refer to Chico as Disneyland and, uh, you know, Mills River is Disney World, Disneyland. We've got the little rides that are from the 50s that break down a lot and uh, got the futuristic thing going on. So it's been crazy to just be a part of growing and seeing it grow in the last, you know, 15 years from that. And it's uh, it's still very much a family company. We always like to say family owned, operated and, you know, argued over. Um, anyone that's ever uh, started a company with their family knows a little bit what that's like. Even when you get together for the holidays, uh, everybody starts telling stories about you when you were a kid. And it's it's a lot of fun. You know, we we have a pretty unique culture here that a lot of companies would pay millions of dollars to have that type of culture. And, you know, Ken's still very much, you know, I always say Ken's in semi-retirement. And, you know, that means instead of 65, 70-hour work weeks, He's your 45-hour work weeks. He's still very much a part of things. You see him all the time at the pub. You know, I think Terrence is like, yeah, Ken's here a little, a little too much sometimes, but it's it's really fun that he's like still part of the whole brewery and still part of the whole process. And yeah, I guess that's when you start when you start brewing at 14, you've got a long time before you're going to retire properly. So yeah, right, right. Well, that's, that's yeah, the thing right? too is is he, uh, he definitely, uh, they, they had to kind of finally like, okay, Ken, if you're going to do this, you need to at least take Friday off. So that's his, <laughs> that's his big rule. If I could get Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off, uh, I'll be, I'll be uh, moving towards, uh, you know, his golden years, I guess. Now, we're kicking off with two of the core range beers today, and uh, we better get to those while people have still got a little bit of one in, in, the, in their glass, and we won't be too far away from pouring the torpedo and getting that out to people. But before we do that, the wild little thing, can you tell us a little bit about what we should be tasting in this beer and, and obviously the story behind it? I, I, in my mind, this is sort of the second wave of core beers uh, for you guys after those pale ales and, and IPAs and so forth that we'll talk a little bit more about in, in a minute's time. Byron, you want to do this one or do you want me to? Um, yeah, I'm digging for my wild little thing here. I've got it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, i got to grab mine. 
Yeah. It's it's looking gorgeous in these glasses here today, I've got to say. It's it's actually a beautiful, beautiful beer. Um the 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 thought behind this and, and this is uh because I know you don't have the other ones, but um I'm sure people have seen the hazy little thing and uh now we have big little thing. It's kind of like a we're we're launching it as kind of a brand family uh in 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 introducing different uh styles um over time. Uh so this was our second launch in that series. Um and the idea was to have a slightly soured beer and it does have a little bit of uh sour wort that's added to it. Um, we do a traditional lactic uh, fermentation souring process uh, with wort uh, and we add that back into uh, into the tank um, or, or you know, portion uh, into each batch. Uh, and then this has got strawberry, uh, Guava and uh, and hibiscus is what's really driving the color. It's not the strawberry, um, but uh, strawberry kind of leads on this one, um, and that's that's one of the one of the things that we've been playing with a little bit is trying to drive a little bit because strawberry can be so overwhelming at, at times uh, to drive a little bit of the guava. Um, so it, it currently we've kind of tweak the recipe i know the one that you have and the one that i have doesn't have that but that's a, a new thing that we've done recently is to try to drive up the guava a little bit and get a little bit more balance of that um but you know really easy drinking kind of uh i know you guys are in winter time we're in summertime um uh hopefully our air conditioners aren't uh, driving you guys nuts because they'll be popping off uh, on this side so uh but you know five and a half percent uh alcohol very low bitterness. Um, I get a lot of the strawberry, like I said, in, in the in the aroma. Uh, and then on the back end is where I start to kind of taste that guava and the guava comes through uh, uh, later on. And, and, and it's got a, a, a pretty good sweetness to it. I wouldn't say it's like overly sweet. Um, and it's definitely not, you know, dry, but that sourness adds a little bit of a little tang at the back end of the of the beer. Can you tell us a yeah, little bit about how the, the hibiscus edition works? Like, what format is the hibiscus coming and how do you get it into the beer? That's a good question. Um, so the hibiscus... Well, I'm here for I know, right? Uh, the <laughs> hibiscus is actually added... Um, uh, well, it, it is actually never added to the beer. Um, we utilize our torpedoes, um, which we'll talk about when we, when we sip that beer. Um, we actually fill them with uh, hibiscus and we circulate uh, the contents of the fermentation through that bed of hibiscus. And then that drives that uh, drives the color and a little bit of, you know, it, hibiscus has a little bit of kind of a tart stringency that kind of adds to that the sour feel of this beer. Um, so that's that's how we actually add that is is through a torpedo. It's actually really cool when they empty them because um, uh, uh, that th we have these big hoppers that all the spent hops go in. Uh, well, the hibiscus goes in there too, and it's like this this layer of red hibiscus flower. Um, it's pretty pretty amazing looking, in my opinion. I was actually walking one of our new uh, employees by the hippo hopper. The other day and there was just that huge giant pile of hibiscus 
over the top of the hops and they were like what the hell is that like they, you've never <laughs> seen so much hibiscus in your life and i'm like don't touch it it's going to stain your hands and you're going to look like you, you know we're <laughs> slaughtering them. Is, is there a hibiscus really, where does this stuff come from the hibiscus i'm not sure where they they source it we uh we you know a lot of our a lot of our ingredients come from uh you know we have a few different suppliers uh brewer supply group is a big one i'm sure they probably maybe even feed some breweries down there and uh in australia but um i'm not i'm not certain exactly what country they come from now i think the last time we had you on you sort of explained that this was one of those beers that the market was sort of calling out for that you know it wasn't necessarily a natural style that sierra nevada was known for um how, how's it going in the market and how is the, the sours market in America generally? Is it still, you know, kicking, kicking along in the way that it was a couple of years ago? Personally, uh, and, and you can see this in numbers too, is um, the sour market is declining. Um, and that, that's why I, I don't think this, this is actually referred to in all the data as being in a sour category, but it's not, you know, like, fermentation sour like you know some uh you know barrel aged uh type of sour uh that you know maybe allagash is putting out or russian river um so it's not it's not in that vein um so it it holds up it holds up well where we do see it kind of dipping off is during the winter months and then it, it kind of pops back up uh, when summertime and, and, I, and I find it to be more of, you know, that kind of refreshing, uh, the drink after, you know, a hard day or when you're sitting at poolside, a lot of flavor, a lot of stuff going on there, um, and not too heavy, um, and not too sour. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm curious about the sour industry. You know, one of my favorite sour breweries is, uh, the rare barrel out of, uh, uh, Berkeley, California. And they uh, they're currently making IPAs, um, so they were 100% sour beers, and and now they're making IPAs. So uh, it leads me to to believe that uh, that's a, that's a struggling market right now, uh, at least in the U.S. Awesome. Um, I think it's people are probably I'm staring through my windows out into the other room, but I think people are probably about to move on to the torpedo. So we might switch gears a little bit. Um, we're setting a cracking pace to, to kick off with here, um, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep going along because the torpedo, I guess, is one of those sort of iconic uh, Sierra Nevada, Nevada beers and, and really keen to sort of hear the story of that and the pale ale and some of those ones that are probably... You know, everyone around the world, even if they're not a, a craft beer drinker, have probably seen them on a tap somewhere. They're, um, you know, just some of the, the iconic versions of this style of beer. And yeah. poured expertly there by Byron. The Byron's doing a hell of yeah, a job yeah. over there. You know, so it's, it's crazy with this beer is, you know, this it speaks a lot to even Terrence mentioning the IPA world, is that, you know, this beer actually... We started packaging it about 14 years ago, and it's pretty crazy to think that 14 years ago we didn't have a year-round IPA. Like that's you know we had our seasonal IPA celebration, and you know Torpedo was the first year-round IPA that we did. Um, yeah, and it's I love 
just the basic hops in this, you know, the Magnum, the Citra. Um, it's one of my favorite IPAs. In fact, this is one of the ones that I usually end up drinking a lot of is Torpedo when I'm down at the pub. Um, Terrence will know this. So usually they don't even ask me what I want to order. They just serve me up a Torpedo. Um, well, and it's I'll, it's I'll, part of that. Byron, let, let, me, let me add. So when we were, we were grabbing all the beers out of the gift shop, Byron goes, please make mine a 16-ounce uh, Torpedo because I'm going to drink the whole thing. Uh, so, uh, so, so Byron loves this. So I'll let him go. Keep, keep talking, Byron. Yeah. And one of my, one of my favorite stories about this beer is actually, it came out of a production issue, you know, when Terrence was in production of, of dry hopping celebration and we use whole cone hops in the process and we were hitting a production wall with celebration and not being able to really dry hop as much celebration as demand there was. And, you know, I would say that 50% of ideas happen in the boardroom and the other 50% of the ideas happen um, down in the pub. And, you know, Terrence, I think you can add to the story of scribbling this out on a napkin just to get celebration out the door. Yeah. When we were, uh, we were first kind of conceptually thinking about this. So, so celebration and all of our other anything that was dry out back in the day all went through uh, what we call dish bottom tanks, which are um, uh, we would go open fermentation into a shorter, squattier uh, secondary fermentation tank that didn't have a cone on it like you're familiar with a, a uni tank. Um, and we could stuff uh, hot bags inside there, much like a tea bag. Um, inside the the fermenter during secondary fermentation and uh, get all that dry hop characteristic out of it. Uh, We did end up purchasing some uh, uh, cone uh, uni uni tank fermenters that had a cone that was uh, that we could remove and and swing it off and then we were able to chain uh, stainless steel chain we could uh, suspend hop bags up through the tank um, and that got us a little bit more volume for Celebration Ale. But uh, like like Byron said, we were hitting that wall and like, what are we going to do? We got to figure out a way to dry hop um, in, a, in another way, innovative way. And so we developed the Torpedo, um, which is a, a 300 gallon uh, tank that's on wheels. We can move it. Um, and it has a cage in the inside and we stuff it with hops. Uh, it's got a center rod. Uh, the beer pumps out of the bottom of the tank, goes through the bed of hops, out through the top. And then we have a uh, kind of a sidearm that pushes the beer back up into the tank. And uh, so when we're doing this, we're, we're adding uh, uh, Citra, Magnum and Crystal hops uh, into the Torpedo and it runs uh, for about two days, um, and it circulates uh, roughly uh, twice the volume that's in each fermenter back up into it. And so it's it's seeing that hops for two days runtime. When we first initially actually uh, thought about designing this, and like Byron said, it was literally on a napkin in the in the pub. Um, we we wanted to experiment with like. Okay, let's see if we can just take enough beer from one keg, put it in the other keg, run it through a bed of hops. And so it was a cylinder 
that was probably a six inch pipe, a stainless steel six inch pipe. We just shoved as many hops as we could into the thing. And we just turned on a pump and we went to go push it. And what we figured out was, okay, we got to, we got to stop the hops from packing at the end because it, it <laughs> failed miserably. Um, and then, uh, and then it slowly started moving into, okay, start putting in some dividers uh, so that we can get a little bit more surface area and we can get, uh, get this beer pushed through it. Um, well, it looked like a torpedo. So back in those days, um, when we were first experimenting with this, we, we really couldn't, I mean, I guess we probably could have, but we hated dumping beer and we hated losing beer. And even for experimentation, because if the beer tasted great on the back end, uh, we're, we're a bunch of beer drinkers, let's drink it. You know, it's like, I'm not going to throw that down the, down the drain. And so, uh, so when we were done with celebration ale of course it was it was probably summertime when we were developing the torpedo and it's like what are we going to do with this beer and uh well let's pour it over in the pub and so we poured it over in the pub and we realized we can't call it celebration ale even though the rest the early recipes were very similar to celebration and then when we said okay this brand has legs we uh, went back to the drawing board and changed up and added a little bit more alcohol, uh, changed the hop profile. It's, it's definitely uh, doesn't have the celebration centennial rose floral characteristics. It's more of a hearty, piney, um, a lot of citrus grapefruit notes in this beer. So, uh, but that, that first year when we were kind of playing with it, it's like, okay, let's just sell it over in the pub and, uh, and so people started hearing about this beer called Torpedo, and uh, we ended up sending a couple kegs to New York, and then all of a sudden by the next springtime, it was like, when can I get some more of that uh, Torpedo IPA? And that's when we thought, okay, let's go. We, the first year we went draft only, um, sold a good amount of it, and then the second year after that, we went to package, uh, and, and it's had a great ride uh over the years for sure how much of you know how much of your overall sales does the torpedo comprise now has that changed over time it, yeah it, it it has quite a bit it is uh much lower and it continues to decline and if i had to put my finger on it in in my personal opinion um it's it's gone it, it's gone the way of of the aggressive West Coast style IPA that uh, I believe is 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 starting to fade. Uh, well, it has it has been fading uh, ever since New England. Uh, your hazy IPAs kind of came on board. Um, what I have noticed is West Coast IPAs have started to see a swing back, um, and they're starting to get a resurgence. Resurgence. On the on the West Coast, uh, I, I could I could probably drive to every single brew pub in California, um, and there would be a West Coast IPA that's on tap. The one thing that's different is this is you know 65 IBUs. Uh, it's aggressive um, on the hopping. Um, the new ones are aggressive on hopping, but they're nowhere near 65 IBUs. They're, they've all kind of brought that bitterness down to uh to the mid 40s 
uh, in the bitterness profile. And that's really, in, in my opinion, that's, that's how the West Coast IPA has changed a little bit. And that is what is giving it a, a resurgence is having that little bit more kind of drinkability. Um, I, I always say, and I, I hope I don't offend anybody, but this beer is very aggressive and like, it's a dude's dude's beer. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I remember my wife when she first tasted this beer, she's like, Oh my gosh, you know, just too much, too, too bitter, too much going on. Right. Uh, I like it. Um, I can drink it at home because, uh, it's been coined the, uh, home wrecker. So, uh, so my wife is like, no way you ain't bringing that stuff home anymore. It makes you crazy, but she's, <laughs> hey, she's on the, she's on vacation. She, she's actually, uh, visiting her sister in, uh, New Jersey. So it looks like it's home wrecker night tonight. <laughs> I'm fascinated to know then where the optimum fits into that sort of continuum, because you've got bees that are even, you know, further down that line. Uh, and I guess the corresponding question is, as you see that change West Coast IPA market sort of opening up, do you have a beer that sort of fits into that style or is that something you want to explore in the future? Um, Byron, I'm going to let you talk about West Coast and then, um, uh, but Hoptimum, how that kind of played into Hoptimum because that was that thing of like, more bitterness, more hops, more, and, and so Hoptimum really, uh, that was our, that was our showcaser of like how much, how much hops can you physically shove into this glass of beer? <laughs> um, and, uh, and I think we did a damn good job. We've, we've been tweaking that recipe uh, on a continual, it, it was designed that way. It was, we came out with it. Uh, it was, it was out of our beer camp program. Um, and uh, it was a, a bunch of publicans from San Francisco uh, that had made, uh, wanted to make a triple IPA. And uh, they were starting to become popular right at that time. And so, uh, um, and one of my really great friends owns a bar down in Hayward, California, where they do the IPA festival and double IPA festival every year in Hayward, the bistro. Um, he's the one that came up with the name. And so it's like one of the really cool things of like, uh, the, the community of craft beer, I'm sure you guys kind of see the same thing of like the enthusiasm with the drinker, the enthusiasm with the retail account, uh, as well as with the brewer. And that, that was just one of the coolest things, uh, with Hoptimum is to be able to like, join together with these these bay area people and it's like every year when it comes out they're like oh dude it's killer you know and uh and so that that's uh that, that's been really fun but optimum is was always kind of in that design where we would kind of tweak it every year and maybe put what we have been doing the last few years is um the hop selection team um that is one of their focuses. It's not a main focus when they're going up to select the hops and buy the hops, but that is one of the, one of the, in the, in the back of their head, they're, they'll rub certain hop and go, all right, that, how many bales of that you got, that's going in Hoptimum. And so they always, every, every year when they come back from uh, hop selection, uh, they're always uh, grabbing me and, uh, and, and saying, dude, check out these hops that we, we picked out. These are specially picked for Hoptimum every year and well we've, we've got david from phoenix beers who are the importers uh of sierra nevada in australia he was in the room today 
So hopefully he's um, making sure that we're going to get a good allotment of uh, optimum because it's certainly one of my favourite views. He's saying something to me through a large glass window. He, I don't know whether he's telling me that he's going to never deal with me again or he can't open the door. <laughs> it's going to be available next month. So there you go. Oh, That's cool. Exciting awesome. news for us. Yeah, I, awesome. I, I have some, I have, uh, you know, kind of our local beer community here in Chico. Uh, a lot of them say that this year's is the best they've ever had. So uh, I hope brilliant, brilliant sales work there. That's exactly what we'd want you to say. So that's, right. that's fantastic. Um, yeah, there- and you know, speaking of the West Coast, you know, this is, I, I think there's two types of, of West Coast IPAs now that I've seen out there. And this is definitely, if you look at this, there's a lot of what's, you know, C60. This is a lot darker than what you see. And, you know, there's this second generation, and Terrence kind of touched on this, you know, the old school way when we used to make a beer was whatever the ABV was, the IB would match that. So, you know, when we got to Hoptimum and made a over 10% beer, you know, when you go to celebration, it's 6.8% about 68 IBUs, you know, we're hitting 10.4%. We're making a beer that's 100. One of the things that I enjoy the most about Torpedo. And these second generation ones um, tend to be, um, you know, less of that crystal malt. And you'll look at them and they'll be really, really light in color because they're really only using panel malt and maybe a little crystal 15 malt to it. Lowering those IBUs, but really, really like showcase that hop aroma, that hop flavor, and not have the malt competing with that, which I personally like the first generation West Coast IPAs. We had a second generation one that we did. Um, we have now the brew house bars. We've bringing people in and we use that for a lot of test uh, beers. And we made a beer uh, West Ghost, which West Ghost is very much a second generation Super hoppy, very pale malt, uh, West Coast second generation driven IPA. And we put it in the brew house bar, and within two weeks, it had outsold anything that had been on there for a month. So people were coming in, trying it, and loving it. And, you know, new beer drinkers were just hand over fist trying to get this beer. And yeah. were you using different hops in that one as well? I mean, have you sort of started to see a, a change in what the sort of the basic, so what hops are you going over to for beers like that? Well, there's Am- Amarillo and uh, uh, I'm actually, I can look it up right now. Um, we're making Believe so many beers. Yeah. Byron, what? can I just say, for me, your audio is a bit loud. I'm not sure whether you can turn your way. Is my audio in and out a little bit? Sorry. Let me see That's if I can. It's loud. Very good at projecting your voice, brother. It's loud. <laughs> it is loud. Okay. Yeah. So if you have the gain, if you can turn the gain down on. Yeah, yeah don't worry too much, but we can. Terrence is much more softly. How's that than now? Me. That sounds. Anything good. better now? Yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm a. I'm a gentle human being. Ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So okay, West Coast. Uh, it was uh, it featured uh, Citra and Idaho Seven, um, and Citra and Amarillo and the dry hop side of it. So um, 
but yeah, that, that was kind of a play on, you know, call it West ghost because uh, there's this kind of running joke on the West coast from uh, brewers that are, that are brewing a lot of West coast styles, that, that kind of second generation that uh, Byron spoke of, of like, Oh, West coast, West coast IPAs are dead. You know, that's kind of the, the whole thought. And so we were like, all right, let's, let's go with, we'll call it a West coast uh, and bring it home. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really gotten a lot of love um, uh, from our patrons. And I even got cussed out last night in the pub because it's not on tap anymore. And I said, we're in the process of brewing more, just wait. So. Awesome. We might have a little break for five or 10 minutes just while we finish savoring this beer and get the, uh, the Northern Harvest out into people's glasses and just give people an opportunity for bathroom breaks and things here in the flesh, if that's all right with you guys, and we'll come back uh, at the top of the hour. And while we take a little break in the live part of the show, just a little notice from David doing the editing of it. Uh, thank you for bearing with us. We know there's a few little audio problems in this one, uh, but the content and the information is hopefully really enjoyable for you all, uh, and I hope you're uh, really enjoying the insights that we get into some beers which are absolutely iconic around the world. Uh, we've got plenty more chat to come, but just a reminder, if you're not already following us on Facebook and Instagram, uh, to check out the Cool Room podcast there and see all of the other events that we have coming up. We've got three live online masterclasses coming up soon with beers for all of those. We've got Black Arts, we've got Prancing Pony, uh, and we also have Noodle Doof. Uh, really looking forward to all of those, and also very recently announced... Uh, a live show that we're going to have coming up with our very good friends from Co-Conspirators out in Brunswick in Melbourne. So uh, if you're not already following us on Facebook, you might be missing out on that information. So while you're listening, jump on over and subscribe to the Instagram and the Facebook for more information. Okay, now back to Terence and Byron, and we're going to be talking about the Northern Harvest IPA. All right, cool. Okay. So uh, I'm going to talk about this one, Byron. So Northern Northern Harvest, I'll keep it really quick. Um, so Northern Northern Hemisphere Harvest was born out of a relationship that we had with a dear uh, dear old man, and he's still around. He's still kicking. Uh, Gerard Lemons was the uh, gentleman's name, um, and he grew up in uh, the UK. Uh, well, he's, he's English, but he, uh, he actually did not grow up in, in, uh, the UK, but, uh, elsewhere, but, uh, had, had a, uh, great, uh, career in the brewing industry and he came out and was working for Yakima chief, which is a hop supplier up in, uh, uh up in Yakima, Washington. And, uh, he befriended Steve Dressler and, um, they became very close friends, and he spoke of a tradition that brewers used to do in um, in England, where they would take uh, fresh hops directly from the field, never kilned, never dried, uh, and they would brew with them. And uh, so it intrigued us, uh, and we and we thought back, what you know, like let let's try this, let's give it a shot, and so we actually got a hold of uh, one of our hop growers up there and um, 
and brought down original recipe. The one you're drinking is 100% Centennial hops. Um, uh, and I'll tell you why that. And I'll try to keep it brief. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you, I'll, t- I'll tell you why it's uh, 100% Centennial. It used to be Cascade and Centennial, and it's literally based off of the Celebration Ale recipe. Um, but it's a wet hop version of that beer. So uh, the grist is almost identical. I think we've tweaked it just slightly to make them a little bit different. Um, but we first made it in 2000. And um, when, when we did it, the first year we did it, we air freighted uh, the hops down because uh, we had, had no idea how to bring them down. And so we air freighted them. It took two airplanes to come down um and uh ken got the bill for uh for bringing those hops air freighted direct to chico uh and of course the the pilots were freaking out because they had these boxes of uh hops that smelled like danky marijuana and uh they had no idea what they were actually doing uh but anyways ken got the bill and i never never forget this he came down to the brew house and he told steve he looked him right in the eye and he's like i just got the bill for the air freight on those hops and he if you and Ken rarely cusses, but he said, if you fuck this up, I'm going to be pissed. Uh, and it turned out to be one of Ken's favorite beers uh, in our portfolio. Like all time, he looks forward to every year us making this beer. Uh, we went to Centennial Hops because as as we started to grow the brand and it got bigger and bigger, we had to, we had to mess with the harvest windows um centennials and cascades don't harvest at the same time uh centennials are usually an earlier harvest hop and cascades are later and so we were trying to combine them and what we were getting was uh some really off characteristics with the cascades trying to harvest the early trying to harvest them early with the centennials um and what we ended up doing is we ended up doing two two different batches we would do a hundred percent centennial batch and then a week later, we'd do 100% Cascade batch, and then we'd blend them together, which was great. But we would, as brewers, taste the two different batches, and we all fell in love with the Centennial because it's got this rose, super rose, uh, floral characteristic. It's, it's like one of my favorite hops because it reminds me of my childhood. My mom had rose gardens. And every house. I wasn't sure what you were going to say about your childhood then. We know that Ken's yeah. done through at 14. The fact yeah. that this reminds you of your childhood. Did no, every, every few mornings, my mom would make me go out and uh, and get uh, pick some roses and and put them in a, a in a boss for her uh, at the house. And so, uh, rose characteristics and centennials always reminds me of my mother, which is a great thing. Uh, so, anyways, that's what you're drinking. I hope you like it. it. It really tastes beautiful, and I think that the, the room there, there, and it's been paired with some awesome food here. So, uh, super lucky to sort of be able to t- taste these beers with food. Uh, really, just sort of adds to the all of the elements, and particularly some of those delicious right. sort of salty, sort of meaty flavours. Um, just adds an extra something special for all of them. Right. Yep. Let's let's move on through the beers that we're going to explore for the rest of the afternoon here in Melbourne and start to talk about Tequila Barrel Age Otrave. Um, I know we talked about Otrave last time you were on the show, but perhaps a really brief explanation of what that basic beer is for people who haven't encountered it before, and then we'll talk about what the Tequila Barrel brings to the equation after that. Go, Byron. 
So Ultraviz is based on uh, it almost, it was pretty much an extinct beer style. Uh, one of our um, buddies that used to work at the brewery, uh, Bill Manley, they used to talk about it and we finally brewed it goes uh, um and it's traditionally a pretty lactic forward beer you know bringing back to you know that's one of the beers that we did that really got us ready to do wild little things and uh doing that lactic fermentation and blending that in um nice tart easy drinking beer you know that end finish to the lactic kind of like you know same thing with wild little thing always kind of brings you back to that second step um Tequila barrels, on the other hand, you know, barrel aging, you know, you always see those bourbon barrel beers with really hard, you know, bourbon here in the States, they use the barrel once and then that's that. Maybe it'll become a scotch barrel, maybe it'll become a rum barrel, um, you know, but they only use it once. So there's there's a plethora of, you know, it's a lot, it's been getting harder to get bourbon barrels, but tequila barrels, on the other hand, they use the barrel till it basically expires, um so it's really difficult to get tequila barrels um out there and so the first time we tried to do this when i tried ultra i'm like man that would be great with some tequila and then proceeded to go home and make a mixed drink with ultra resin tequila and i'm like that's the best margarita i've ever had in my life i'm like we should get some tequila barrels and the first time we got the tequila barrels i think the the seller guys and the barrel guys were like what the hell are these things because they look like they, you know, fallen off a boat somewhere and they were pretty banged up and we did that batch and it just didn't turn out. And so resourced some tequila barrels and um, made another batch. And out of all the barrel aged beers, I think that we've done um, over the years, the tequila barrel aged Otra has cellared phenomenally. I mean, you're drinking a beer that's I mean, I think we did that like six, seven years ago, Terrence, is when we did yeah. the yeah. Barrel Age Ultra. So you're drinking a beer that's literally was packaged six, seven years ago. And the fact that it tastes as good as it does today is not only a testament to Ultra Res, but a testament to, you know, the tequila age. And, you know, it's everybody loves to sell our beers and things like that. But I, I think that the Tequila Barrel Age Ultra has held its own in a way that I've never seen with another barrel-aged beer. And is it something you brew every year, or is it one of those ones that only comes around in very special occasions? We, it, it actually is, is on the radar to let's make another batch uh, sort of thing, uh, definitely. Um, it was, uh, it, I, I think we made maybe three iterations of it, um, over the course of when we were brewing Otravez, obviously we don't brew Otravez anymore. So um, we're we're actually it's on the docket uh, to to brew uh, a couple batches on each side of uh, the country in both of our breweries uh, for draft only. Um, and everybody's like, okay, let's let's make it a little extra so we can put some in some tequila barrels because that is like. That it that was one of the ones too is like uh, we have a few uh, customers that that come into the pub that just have the certain things that they want to drink and uh, there was there was a gal she would come in three or four times a week uh, and she would order it on tap and buy two bottles and go home and then next time she came in she would order a couple glasses two bottles go home. And it was like, okay, one of those bottles every night for her. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
but it is it's a very i i just feel like the, the tequila comes out in that beer just so it's it, it's like a a, a a a margarita that is just uh ramped up a little bit in my opinion i just really like the uh how the how the beer shines in that it doesn't the tequila doesn't overwhelm it. It's just part of it. It just all melds together uh, in that in that particular beer. And, and honestly, uh, this is one of the ones that was on your list that Byron and I are pissed off because we don't have any more in our in our our warehouse. So, well, I've got to uh, say, it's one of those things that uh, recording at Beer Deluxe here in Melbourne, uh, their yeah. cool room is something that's pretty awesome to walk into. And so there's all sorts of things like this squirreled away down there and uh, David put right. on a tour and it was like, oh, we could do something, a fun event around that beer, we could do a fun event around that beer. So uh, we're very lucky here this afternoon to be, to be contemplating having that beer in our glasses in a few moments' time. Um, moving on, perhaps in our discussion to the barrel-aged narwhal and the barrel-aged cherry stout, what sort of barrels are you using there? Tell us a bit more about how you source those barrels and, and how the brewers, how much of it is I guess, experimentation and how much is pure knowledge of what will happen when you use those kind of barrels. Yeah. Uh, so, so both of those are bourbon barrel aged. Um, and uh, I, I believe that you said the cherry stout. Yeah. So we've got the narwhal and then the, uh, the, then the cherry stout. Yeah. So, uh, so the cherry stout, they're both, they are both bourbon barrels. We try to uh, source our barrels. Uh, we have a couple brokers that we work with um, and we try to get our barrels as wet as possible. That's one of the things that, uh, you know, most brewers try to do that too. And, um, but we, we buy pretty good volume uh, of barrels when we purchase them and that, that has its benefits, right? Um, not gonna lie. Um, but, uh, we, we, we've found some, some great sources. I would say majority of a lot of stuff we get is heaven Hill, just because that's what's, uh, you know, the, the heaven Hill distillery, that's what they're kind of, uh, they're, they're moving volume. Um, and, and it's got great flavor. It's got uh, great everything. We got a couple, um, we're, we're doing a collaboration this year and we should probably, uh, I'll, I'll say this now is, is squirrel away uh uh some cases for uh for them to come down to uh phoenix of uh a seven years barrel aged um uh bigfoot barley wine that has been in various different um barrels bourbon barrels for six years uh but it spent its last year in eh taylor barrels uh one of buffalo traces brands uh, and uh, we're doing a special release in September for the, uh, uh, I think it's National Bourbon Bourbon Month or something like that. Um, so we're going to- Don't worry about sending them to the distributor. Just send them to my house in Fleming. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. That's a deal. That's a deal. Um, but yeah, the, uh, sourcing the bourbon barrels is, is it, it took a while, definitely, um, from, from when we first started yeah. barrel aging beers and, uh, we've, we've developed some great, uh, friendships and, um, relationships with uh, a couple key suppliers in the U S and so that is one of our stipulation is what is, what is the barrel can get? Uh, that's what we're looking for. Cause we really want to impart a lot of that flavor, 
in, into the final beer. Um, that cherry stout, uh, do you know for sure, is it, is it the Alpha Hop Society? I think it is, yes. I'm getting the thumbs up from the bar for that one. Yeah, okay, yeah. So it also has almonds, lactose, cocoa powder, and cherries uh, aged in bourbon barrels. And this comes out of our, uh, and I know you're recording this, and if I have like 400 members in a private club called the Alpha Hop Society. It's, it's, the, <laughs> it's the shirt I'm wearing. Um, and they just get irate whenever I share any of our beers with anybody. Uh, and literally there was someone in the uh, tasting room today whenever I brought uh, Byron his beers. Uh, and the guy's like, so you have members in the Alpha Hop that are in Australia? And I'm like, I had to duck the question. I'm like, no, I think that was a trip in the woods version beer that we did years ago that they're drinking. So don't tell anyone. I'll get in <laughs> trouble. <laughs> I'll edit that out of the podcast, but everyone who's in the room can know that they're having a beer yeah. that they're not really glad to have. Yes, right. That's great. <laughs> that's that's actually the the same with uh, with the uh, Belgian Belgian style chocolate stout. I think that's the same one, uh, and it comes from the same club. That's when we did seven uh, fifties of it. But um, but anyways, uh, which one do you want to talk about? Do you want to just I know. Why don't you sort of talk us through the, the history of the narwhal, particularly, which will be the first of those ones that we get into, uh, and a bit, a bit like we discussed with the Otravay, what the base beer is like, what the barrel ageing adds to it, and then let's talk about how that sort of process works for, for the uh, barrel aged cherry stout as well. Okay, Byron, you want to do the um, narwhal? So our narwhal, um, it's part of our high altitude series. It's an imperial stout that we make. Uh, really roasty, really dark, um, traditional imperial stout. I love imperial stouts. Um, it's funny that, you know, Terrence was talking about bourbon month because one of my bars, my favorite bars, the Byron Special used to be whatever they had on nitro as a stout and then a side glass of bourbon. Um, and you know, because those two things marry really well. And I, that's one of my favorite beers. Everybody always asks, what's your favorite beer? And I'm like, well, the beer I drink the most of or the beer that is my all time favorite that we made. Um, and the beer I drink the most of is probably Torpedo or Pale Ale. The beer that I love the most that we've ever made is our barrel aged narwhal. Um, just because I love that bourbon characteristic. It really rounds out the roastiness and it's got pretty much everything that I'm looking for um, in a beer, really full body, just, but also like not, you know, just that I, I really find myself going towards malt beers like that. And, you know, the bourbon always adds that it's, it's almost a no brainer to take an Imperial style and put it in a bourbon uh, barrel. And that's, you know, or barrel aged Narwhal, which now we do in 16 ounce cans, which, I love that size of can. I love all terrace, but <laughs> usually I have to clear my schedule out if I open up one of those. Um, and, you know, we've, we've done a lot of those barrel-aged beers where, you know, tequila age ultra was one of the standalones in that. But, um, you know, it's just, it's it's the perfect marriage. And then you put it together with some sort of dessert, like, you know, empty, pretty much any chocolate dessert it'll match with. So, Yeah. 
So Terence has muted himself. Terence is muted. I get to, I get sorry, to sorry. Take ask a question before he starts to talk because that's, okay. that's happened. And I'm, I'm really to know sort of how much of your basic stout and basic porter do you still sell? Because again, if you look up the international style guides, they would both be in there as examples of just sort of picture perfect basic stouts and basic porters. We don't see so many of them in Australia anymore. Maybe it's because we only import the really weird, wonderful things. But are there many basic stouts still sold and enjoyed in the US? No. In fact, you know, one of our one of our base beers that we're doing for direct to consumer and that we we have available in the gift shop um, is our porter. It was one of the first three beers that Ken made. It was probably from you know, everybody remembers the like one of the original three beers and you know we sell it we'd send it out and it's pretty sad when you work to make a porter or make a stout and then you know you're traveling or something you see it in the wild at a liquor store and it's it's way past its prime and you know so we basically brought it in and we're making small batches of our porter that's just available at the gift shop and terrence can speak a lot to that you know i wish I love porters and stouts. That's what I cut my teeth on and when I lived in Oregon because, you know, late 90s, everybody in Oregon was making porters and making stouts and brought me in. You know, they, they have, I, I believe, seen a decline, but I'm hoping that stouts will become popular again and I hope porters will become popular again because I think, you know, it's the misconception about dark beer that most Americans have is they think it's going to be really high in alcohol, really bitter, really high in calories, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, Guinness has less alcohol and calories than most mainstream American lagers like Budweiser have because they right. just assume that that's really strong. And they're like, well, every time I see people drinking Guinness on St. Patrick's Day, they're acting a fool. It must be really high alcohol. And I'm like, that's not Guinness's fault. That's Jameson's fault. Right. Like <laughs> there is that connection. And, you know, I, I really wish that everyone that says I don't like beer, I could pour them a porter and give them that without them seeing what's in the glass. Because I, you know, when we used to have Porter on draft in the tasting room in the brew house bar, you serve somebody that goes, I don't like beer, serve them that, and they're like, oh, and then they try and they're like, you know, we have this discussion, do you not like chocolate? And they're like, well, I love chocolate. And I'm like, well, why do you like Porter? And they're like, I don't know why. And then you try it. And the next thing you know, you'd see them walk out of the gift shop with six pack of Porter. So now I'm going to take a, a quick five minute break here because we've got the chef up from the kitchens here to talk us through the food menu that we've had. And then perhaps when we come back, we'll talk about the end of the, the cherry stout discussion, talk about the Belgian chocolate beer, have the audience questions, and then we'll let you guys slink off into the Californian night. Does that sound okay if we come back okay. in perhaps five or 10 minutes' time? Sounds great. Wonderful. Sounds Thank awesome. You. Okay, gentlemen, we're back here in the room. We're going to talk briefly about the cherry stout. I really want to hear about, you know, how exclusive that is just to emphasise uh, to the gang that we've got gathered here today uh, how, how lucky they are to have that. Then we'll talk Belgian chocolate beer. We'll have a few audience questions. We'll let you slip off into the night and we're going to be sitting here, I think, for a few more hours. We've just spoken to the chef about the awesome menu that's still lined up. We haven't even got to the main course of the food yet, so... Uh, that gives you a bit of an idea about we're going to savour these things this afternoon because they're so special. Okay, so the cherry stout, I think I'm off mute, yep. Uh, cherry stout, so as I said, this is out of our uh, Alpha Hop program. 
and and I never answered the question that you uh, asked earlier about um, uh, like selection of barrels and things of that nature. Uh, definitely like our uh, beers that we're using for this particular program. So the beer that's in front of you, the Cherry Stout was hand-selected barrels. Uh, when we're doing Narwhal, obviously the volume was, it was very huge, um, but each one of those barrels is actually tasted and uh, those that don't meet the criteria uh, get pushed to the side uh, and they might last. Uh, we usually don't dump stuff unless it's like really super funky and, uh, and, and sometimes when it's super funky, we actually save it for <laughs> making a funky beer. Uh, so, so that ends up happening, but, um, when they're doing narwhal, it's definitely, you're trying to kind of handpick the, the best barrels that are coming off and blending all those together to make that beer, uh, with these alpha hop beers, uh, when we're selecting those, it's usually the cream of the crop and we're trying to find, uh, the best examples we have. A lot of times they will, uh, add certain ingredients based off of what we want to kind of play with so like for instance with this beer uh cherry was added and then later as they're tasting like okay we got to add a little bit of lactose and some cocoa nibs try to kind of kind of increase those uh characteristics in the in the final beer um uh we love love playing with uh almonds because almonds are can you guys see me? I think I'm frozen, but hopefully you can hear me. Hey, you got it. Now you're um, good. Okay. Um, uh, we love playing with almonds, uh, and those are in this because almonds are a local uh, ingredient that's grown here in Chico. I think uh, I've been told that uh, over 90% of all the almonds that are produced in California are grown in Butte County. So... Uh, so is the trivia question we'll be asking next year. Yeah, there you go. It's awesome. Uh, so anyway, so it's, it's definitely like we're, we're kind of playing, we're working with, uh, uh the, the barrel masters. Uh, but you know, I get a lot of say in these two of, uh, we'll go out and we'll pick, uh, every couple months, we'll go out and kind of, uh, share some barrels that they have that they kind of really, really prefer. Like just recently we did a, uh, beer that we released that was uh, a nectarine blonde and we used nectarine puree in a blonde ale and it was almost 20% nectarine puree to the entire batch of the beer and it's so huge in nectarine character and then we aged it in gin barrels and it's absolutely fabulous. So uh, anyways, that, that, that's the fun kind of the platform of what you're tasting now is just really kind of a canvas for us to be innovative and uh, try some cool stuff and fun well, stuff. And we can, I think we can hear there the passion that you guys have for exploring these super exotic, I presume not commercially sensible in the least kind of beers to be making. Um, it must be nice to have the brewery at a stage now and the organisation at the stage where while you're selling large volumes of some of those beers that we were tasting earlier, that when we're talking about things like the barrel-aged cherry stout, that this is an indulgence for the brewery and for everyone who gets to taste it. 
yeah it's 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 like that it's like going out to dinner and ordering dessert right you go out i mean i know people that order dessert every time they go out to dinner but usually for me it's a very special occasion right uh you know a bottle of champagne before and uh you know nice dinner and um your your dessert afterwards this is your dessert right here so uh, so we're talking dessert. You, you're much better at segways than I am, but that's a great way to move us on to the final beer that we'll be tasting tonight, or this afternoon, depending on when we get to it, uh, the Belgian chocolate beer. Uh, and I'm really keen. Can you, can you tell us what we should be expecting when we get to that beer this afternoon? Well, it, literally, I think, I think, uh, if I can, if I can quote, and I'm probably going to be a little off, but, um, the uh, gentleman that designed this beer um, literally wanted it to taste like a Belgian chocolate cake. And uh, that was his thought and his idea. And he had come to me and like, I really want to do this as uh, one of our releases. And I was, I was down with it because I like a good chocolate cake myself. Um, speaking of dessert and uh this uh, aged in bourbon barrels, uh, roughly if, and I can't, cause this is from, this one's from 2020. And generally speaking, most of our barrel aged beers, like Narwhal is always 12 months, uh, barrel aged Narwhal. Uh, some of the other ones that we come out with in this alpha hop program. Uh, and just so you can see the label again, this is, wait, hold on. Oh, okay. Anyways, it's, we've, uh, we've got a, de so we've got a go decal on our end that looks much like that. So that's okay. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, so, so our, our bar barrel master that did this one, Jeff White, uh, his idea was, and he loves chocolate cake, was really to reproduce that flavor uh, in this beer, bourbon barrel, uh, as I said, but just cocoa nibs. And uh, it, it's got a little bit of, uh, you know, like Bel Belgian yeast characteristic in this beer. So it was a uh, fermented with some Belgian yeast. It tastes magnificent. I'm ahead of the room. I, I snuck over to the taps and poured myself a little bit of this one just so that I could do the responsible thing and be drinking it while we were talking about it. That is good. How many kegs of this would you be? Obviously, with your society, most of it goes into packaged, I presume. So, how many kegs of this beer? How many people around the world are going to be tasting this on draft? There, there was probably eight five-gallon kegs made of this, and I think you guys got two of them. Eight, yeah. So, uh, yeah roughly, if if I had to guess, uh, roughly about. Uh, 200, 212 packs of seven, so 200 cases and then five kegs and then that's it. Like all, all these alpha hop beers are very, as I say, very limited. We have 400 um, members, four, four to 450, obviously. We, we, we were close to 500 members until COVID hit. And then um, we, used, we host parties uh, with the beer 
So we used to have release parties every time we release beer. And obviously when COVID hit, we had to stop that. We had to change the portfolio. How, how are we going to do this? We're actually, uh, Sunday will be our first party back. Uh, so I have to go down to that uh, down in the Bay Area. So that'll be uh, pretty fun. That sounds, that sounds awesome. In fact, one of, the, uh, one of the people that we have in the room has very fond memories of visiting the uh, Chico Brewery uh, on Super Bowl day uh, when you shut early, but she, she says, and I know it was the same thing, it was one of the best days they had in the US because of the generosity uh, of, the, of the tasting room in, in oh, those no. few hours before the close down happened for Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. And, and we used to stay open during it. So, so the, the Grossmans are not into sports ball, neither is Byron. I love sports <laughs> ball. Um, but, but that, that, uh, that is one of the ones is like, we'll never have a TV in our bars cause it's too distracting. And, you know, I, 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 I love it. If I want to watch sports, I go to a bar that has TVs and do it that way. That's fine. Uh, but I do love that. And and I miss it a little bit with uh, all of our smartphones and all the other stuff of that interaction that you get in a bar, uh, just talking to people and um, having a great time and sharing stories and opinions and uh, you know there was there was a there was a time in America you could actually talk politics with uh, someone that was on the other end of the spectrum. You can't do that anymore. But you know I I. I uh, Politics that. is a very dangerous subject, and that's oh of- yeah, it's, like, it's never stopped you before, Terrence. It's never stopped you before. Yeah, like yeah. Um, so before we hop into the questions, um, we we all got together and we were doing some special beers, and I just wanted to show you guys this. So if anybody makes it up here to Chico, oh yeah, uh, this is the beer that we have here. Um, you know, like most Americans, my first foray into anything Australia was, you know, Mad Max. And I love the Road Warrior and I love Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And yeah, it's just it was it's one of those dumb things. You know, not, as much as I think that you guys are running around stealing gasoline, you know, we're probably doing it more here in the States nowadays. But uh, we made this beer uh, for those of you that are big Thunderdome fans. uh made this you can see he's pushing the cart and everything like this and uh you can see the name um we named this beer who run barter town and uh it's, it's a <laughs> so for any of you in australia that want to big huge mad max fans uh we have this for you who run barter town we're not sure i think terrence runs barter town but <laughs> this is a super town. nice juicy fruity uh delicious beer that we did so we 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 still think of you all as you know that. You know. Thank, thanks for remembering that one, Byron. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent reference, and we do we do have. I know there's someone in the room who's going to be over there in the next uh, month or so. So hopefully you can keep one of those aside for him. I'll send his details through to you. And um, look, you know, apart from anything else, FOMO uh, that's the city of Melbourne's uh, advertising campaign is all about that at the moment. Moment, so I get to reference my political life at the same time as I'm uh, referencing some awesome beers uh, and with a little bit of an Australian tinge to them. Um, okay, David, I, if I, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. So if, if they are coming in the next month or even a month and a half, um, I always have like a couple, couple cases of these set aside. So 
please have them reach out to info at Sierra Nevada and have them tag Byron and myself and uh, we'll make sure that uh, they're taken care of. Well, I don't know whether Owen's listening or whether he's knee deep in food at the moment, but uh, if he's not listening, then he misses out on this opportunity. So we'll find out in a minute or two. Uh, my good friend David from Phoenix Beers has been out gathering questions from the room. We're going to rattle through these reasonably quickly and I'm going to read through them without uh, without prejudice and without seeing what I'm going to be reading out. So, uh, and David says good luck, which worries me a little bit. Right, we'll see if we can. So, Dave, there are, there's a whole nest of Daves here in the room, down one end of the table. Uh, and Dave's <laughs> got the first question, which is, who does your artwork? Uh, and who makes sure that sort of style keeps the similarities uh, in it? Uh, and I guess that beer you've just shown us there, Byron, looks quite different to the average Sierra Nevada beer that we, that we get over here. Uh, so tell us a bit about the artwork, if you can. So um, we, we have a graphics department and we probably have, uh, let, let me uh, count them now, one, two, we have an intern, so that's one of them, one, two, three, four, five illustrators uh, that do our work, but they do a lot of different things other than labels. They're doing posters, coasters, all sorts of bullshit that I, whatever. That's my opinion, uh, but uh, I want them to just do labels. Uh, but um, with with like the FOMO series that that uh, Byron just showed, we really wanted to kind of get outside the Sierra Nevada box and kind of think in a different way and kind of do what the cool kids are doing um, that have a little small, you know, 20,000, 30,000 barrel breweries. Um, but yeah, it's, it's generally when we're doing national release stuff, those, all those kind of labels actually go through, uh, some sort of proofing protocol and they're uh, finally approved by, uh, our leadership team and Ken Grossman and, and Sierra, Sierra Grossman, for sure. They're like, we, we can make some amazing labels and, and we're like, yeah, this is awesome. And it's like, nope, don't like it. Uh, back to the drawing board. Uh, so that does happen. And that's the uh, argued over portion of, uh, of our company, for sure. Uh, but I, but I, love, I love seeing, uh, you know, like, that's one of the cool things in my new job is like being in that, the know of how something's developing. And we, we always do, it, there's always some sort of art briefing of like, okay, this is my thought behind this. Uh, you know, West Coast that we were talking about earlier is we, we let the brewers kind of take that because it's a beer that they're really passionate about. And so the idea is to make some sort of Pac-Man reference, uh, the video game Pac-Man. And so that's probably what that one's going to look like. And it's already looking that way. So it's really fun to let them explore and do certain stuff. But yes, uh, on occasion, we have to hold the hold the line on certain of certain brands and their portfolio and what they actually look like. So I have to add this to the FOMO. It looks so different that when I was walking through the brewery with one of the first iterations of the FOMO, one of the brewers took a look and he's like, oh, who made that? And I'm like, you guys made it. It's your beer. So that was one of the, the greatest moments is when they didn't even recognize that it was our beer. Yeah. 
We've got a couple of great questions here from uh, Stuart and Anna. Uh, and obviously, you know, we're sort of fascinated by how the beers get to us and how the choices get made. So uh, Anna was asking, first of all, how you decide what beers get exported and what ones don't. And I know a little bit of this story because we were lucky enough to more or less do a deal where we could say, you know, you showed us what the keg list was and we were able to import some pretty special beers in this instance. But generally speaking, you know, how many of the beers that you make leave the US and who makes that kind of decision? Terrence runs Bartertown. <laughs> pretty much all all the specialty beers kind of go through me it's like uh because I, I i usually have an idea of like what we're going to use uh and these are like onesies twosies i say onesies twosies because literally there's one two three four maybe a dozen kegs of certain beers that we make that um you know it's going to go to savor uh, for some special occasion or savor the savor event in Washington, D.C. Uh, it's going to go to uh, San Francisco Beer Week, uh, some of our key accounts. Uh, the relationship we've had with Phoenix um, definitely falls into that category of like, okay, let's get them something killer and and bring it to them um because it, it 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 just in my opinion it just shows it, it shows what sierra nevada has to offer and and it's you know we like you said you made a couple comments about like obviously some of these beers we can't mass produce and have them on a scale where we can distribute it all over the united states and have it in every country and uh, have mass volumes of it because it's not profitable but it, but it it shows our portfolio and it shows what we're actually capable of doing and hopefully someone goes and buys a 12 pack of sierra nevada pale ale because it's an awesome beer right so that's that's pretty much how that actually goes um we're always kind of producing a little one-offs here and there uh just to feed feed the pipeline uh for events like this and it's just it's it, in my opinion, it, it's what we're about, and it's we we truly love our our customers and the people that that like are near. Sierra Nevada is near and dear to their heart, um, and and I love it. It's sort of a, a follow up question, I guess, which comes from Stuart, which is, you know, do you see in your position different beer trends in different parts of the world? Because of what people are ordering, do you see that Australia orders styles of beer that don't get ordered in Europe, for instance, or you know, vice versa? You get a feel for that kind of thing. No, not. I, I wouldn't say that. That actually, you know, on a large scale, yes, but on a on a on a small scale, because we have like similar stuff that we do in the UK and in uh, elsewhere. Uh, that is similar to this kind of portfolio of just people that are very passionate about uh, beer, very passionate about trying different styles, uh, very much want to know uh, history that went into beers and the brewery itself. And so that's, that's kind of, you know, it, the, 
the requests just come, you know, and, and we just kind of deal with them as they come, come along. So. So, uh, and India has a sort of a follow-up question here in the room, which is, you know, do you see trends emerging around the world or in the US for that matter? What are the next sort of things? We always sort of, you know, half joke about the brute IPAs, and I know you guys made one of those at one stage, but, you know, what trends do you see emerging? Is it that second generation of West Coasts or are there other things you see happening as well? Byron, you want to take this one? Because uh, what, what I was going to add to that last one was just kind of the, the, the thought of like, I always have like this little pocket of a half dozen kegs. Of, and, and I get yelled at because we have a warehouse that can only pack so much beer. It's like, can you get rid of this shit that's sitting in the back back there for two or three or four years it's like it's so good and ken agrees with me he's like full-on like man that shit's good you got to save it for certain occasions and certain things you know and we okay. do it at our own pubs and those kind of things but um but that's, a perfect, about, say, that's a perfect time for me because i'm now just tasting the tequila barrel aged and as you yeah. say you know this is drinking beautifully i'd love to have one at the time of release compared to this one but this is such a mellow sumptuous beer now yeah it's just wonderful i i actually thought that beer got better as it as it aged but um going back to uh the last question um and the uh oh my god i'm, I'm just gonna yeah so the question about whether you, you know what you see is the trends that are coming through yeah um i i do believe that i think that west coast idea of kind of a softer west coast approach uh will have legs because it, it is such in my personal opinion it's such a great drinking beer and and it's it's easy it's not it doesn't overwhelm you um and it's flavorful and it's got all the hop character that most people want i would you know i i always say this and i've probably been saying it for 10 years I would love for one day that there's a a push for craft loggers, um, but I don't know. I I mean, we keep trying stuff, and we keep like dipping our toe in it, and and we see the trend of other brewers, and it's like, you know, I'm a, I'm on this big. Um, I I represent the company on Beer Advocate, and I don't I don't know if many people uh in australia actually follow that but i and it got tiresome after a while of like you know digging on what styles we make and why don't we make porter and why don't we make stout anymore and it's those beers don't sell uh and so at the end of the day we have to make actually beers that make us money and then we can make fucking cool shit that we can share with other people not on a large scale uh, maybe, but maybe on a small scale. Um, and cause we all like drinking them. We like drinking porters. We like drinking stouts. We like drinking lagers. Um, but at the end of the day, you gotta, you, you gotta keep the cash flowing. Right. And I don't mean to sound like, you know, we're trying to dig money out of people, but it is a business and you got to run it. And, and so like one of the things on Beer Advocate is it, they started harping about we discontinued Oktoberfest 
and we're actually still making Oktoberfest. We're going to make uh, roughly 300 barrels worth of Oktoberfest. We're going to use it at our festival. We're going to sell it in Chico. We're going to sell it uh, on our direct to consumer where you can mail, uh, you can have it delivered to your home in certain states and in United States. In the state of Victoria or in Australia, can we get it home delivered? That's really you guys. Stuff. You guys can actually get. You can actually get some. So tell David he can order some. I'll have some available uh, for sure, and we'll do that. Northern Hemisphere, same thing. We're going to put it in cans. Uh, Ruthless Rye is coming out in October. So, uh, anyways, Please. those Please those are all available. It. Beautiful being. Yeah. So, you, you, uh, I, you know, to kind of touch on what Terrence is talking about, and I think, you know, there's a lot of experimentation, but when it comes down to it, the IPA is here to stay. The pale ales and the IPAs are what people look for in craft brewing. You know, there's new types of IPAs. You know, if you were to ask me 10 years ago, would a hazy IPA ever make it? I would have looked at you like you were absolutely insane to think, but, you know, it's, our, our hazy little things now a large chunk of our business. I think the last time I checked, it was like 40% of our business. And I think where those things go, like with the second gen IPAs, you know, there's a lot of experimentation with hot varieties here in the States. And one of the new things that's really emerging is this hop that a guy found in New Mexico called Neo-Mexicanus. And, you know, hop breeding has been very much based on, and the States based on, um, cascade and breeding that and trying different varieties, you know. And so now there's this new hop variety, Neo, that's been growing wild here in the States for a long time that people are taking and crossing and getting all sorts of different flavors, different aromas out of those beers than people have ever seen. You know, Pine was where IPA is now. And, you know, when it came out with the hazies, it's all about the juiciness, all about the citrusiness and you know with neo it's all about these crazy different flavors that you'd never think that beer would taste like like some of them have coconut some of them you know just things i would never thought of hops and so i think like if i was to crystal ball it i think you know it, it's coming with those new hop varieties and you know different flavors from the hops and yeah that's that's my that's I'm a great gonna answer. Be... I'm going to keep us moving along, and I'm sorry, Jeff, you guys have got so much knowledge to share. We've got five questions left, and I do want to, I do okay, want to move cool, through cool. them. But yeah, I'm yeah. noting that Neo Mexicanus might be our little scoop of the night uh, as, a, as a new hop variety and a new trend. Terence, you, you touched on there on a question that Jared is asking about what's going into cans and what's going into bottles at the brewery. Uh, in Australia, we've particularly seen a real move away from bottles. And you said that the ruthless, I think, is going into the into cans. But where does the brewery see things going in terms of what goes into bottles and what goes into cans? The consumer tells us what, what goes into each one of those. Uh, I will tell you that Celebration Ale, you know, like last year we did uh, a small volume of bottles. Uh, because Ken Grossman still likes to drink celebration in bottles. <laughs> uh, so, so we found an account. Uh, we found uh, one of our club stores that would actually take uh, bottles because again, kind of an older consumer that, you know, it, that's what I find is the older consumer is like, I, and personally, I, I gotta say I'm, I'm older now. 
I want to think that I'm still in my thirties, uh, but I'm in my fifties. Um, I love the feel of a bottle. I love in, in I'm the worst brewer brewmaster type of person. I love to drink directly out of the bottle. And I know I'm supposed to pour it in glass. I'm supposed to look at it. I'm supposed to smell it. I'm supposed to, but most of the beer, like whenever I'm consuming that way, like my, my rule is, is I've never had a beer. Um, that's the uh, Northern hemisphere. Nice. Uh, so if I've never had a beer, I always pour it into a glass and I aromatically evaluate it. I look at it. I taste it. I drink it. If it's, I'm coming home, I'm grabbing a pale ale and a bottle out of my fridge and I'm drinking it just direct. Um, that, that is a great thing. Uh, I will tell you this, that we had two bottling lines in Chico and a canning line. We have ripped one of our bottling lines out and we're putting in a second canning line. So that'll give you an idea. Yeah, that gives us an answer, what, I think, on that one. What, what, what trends are happening in the U.S. And honestly, it's probably a great thing because you can transport more beer. Each pallet of beer is 170 uh, cases of bottles equals 100 cases of cans on a truck. So each truck that goes out has, uh, I think it's 22 spots on a truck. Um, and if you fill it with cans, much lighter, less fuel. Let, and if the consumer likes that and it's going to help the environment and it's going to do other great things for the industry, so be it. Drink out of it. I think that's, a, that's a really good, that's exciting particularly from an Australian point of view because that means we get more of the beer because obviously right. putting things Putting things into uh, into containers is where space and everything and weight matters. Um, yep. Daryl asks a question which follows on a bit there from your answer, which referenced Ken. What does Ken's day-to-day -day sort of work life look like now? Um, does he literally just sort of come in and dictate you must put things in, in bottles and you can't use this label? Or is some of the recipes and that kind of thing what he does? Or is it more just looking at spreadsheets and that, that sort of business end of things? He, uh, if I, if, and I don't see his day to day as much as, as I used to, um, but he is very involved with, uh, with everything. I literally, I got a call today. From, I was, I was trying to blow off his brother because his brother wants to get these, uh, his brother wants to get some cask beer, uh, to England for, I don't know, some festival and, it's like right now, like our inventories are so messed up and they have to fill all the casts in North Carolina. And I know North Carolina is strapped because they have some accounts uh, that they feed. Cast beer is more popular on the East Coast than it is on the West Coast. And so I kind of like was blowing them off and I get a call from Ken today and he's like, hey, my brother told me that um, you told him we don't have any casts. And I was in the back of the brewery. And I saw uh, 40 pallets of casks, empty casks back there. And uh, why can't he have those? And I'm like, okay, I'll go back there. I'll look at it. I'll make it. And I'll, I'll I'll get a hold of him next week. Um, so so he is very much involved with everything. Uh, we have some new. It almost projects. sounds like he's too involved, Terrence. It almost sounds like uh, a little bit. He's a micromanager. 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this and he probably wouldn't care if I say it. Uh, I say a few things about Ken that I probably, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but uh, he is a little bit of a micromanager, but, but he definitely is like when we're, when we're releasing a beer and we're doing like some uh, pilot tasting of a new release, he's there, he's tasting it. He's giving his two cents you know, certain things like um, maybe Byron will uh, raise, uh, raise his can of uh, T West. Um, we're working on this uh, uh, hard, hard tea project that we're doing. Um, and, and he, he gave his two cents and it's like, I don't want it sweet. And I like my tea a certain way. Right. Well, the American drinker does not like, um, uh, no sweetness in their tea, especially if it's a hard tea. So we actually went to, we went and sent samples to all of our distributors, not all of our, but a majority of our distributors. What do you think of this? And they all came back and said, it's disgusting. It needs more sweetness. <laughs> so, uh, so we had to squash them on that one. So, but, uh, but yes, he has, he, he has a lot of say in everything, which is great because that's what built Sierra Nevada. That's what we're about. Um, I Good know recovery. His... Good recovery. You've kept your job. I think that worry. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We've got three questions left. Three great questions okay. there. It's hard to find a segue through some of these. So I'm just going to ask, Lisa's question is, do you have any female brewers? And, and how much sort of are you seeing a change in the industry overall in America? In Australia, we're seeing more and more. It's something that we think is fantastic. Yeah, um, Chico, we have no none. I would say that, um, but we do have a new brewer in our innovation department that um, just got moved up. She was in filtration, um, and she's in our innovation department. Uh, and if I I told you the innovation department, um, she's one of 10, 10 brewers across both coasts. Um, but our head brewer in North Carolina uh, is a female, and uh, we have two other uh, brewers or at least seller staff uh, people in North Carolina uh, that are female. And do you think there's sort of certain things that female brewers, you know, bring to the table that, you know, we were talking earlier on about oh, hell yeah. you know, some of those ridiculous, you know, IPAs that, you know, underpin the beginning. Is there styles that you probably wouldn't brew if it wasn't for having innovators like that in the brewery? Yeah, I, I think for sure. Because um, in one of the things, and, and I don't know if it's male, female or what it is, um, but everybody has a an affinity to certain flavors and certain characteristics and beers um, that is very valuable for us as a company. And so that's what we try to incorporate um, in our sensory because sensory is a huge, huge part of what we do of our quality and quality assurance. And um, that's what we try to encourage is like, as many palates as we can get to actually taste our beer and run through our beer and give us feedback. And so uh, the, the head of, well, I guess I would say second in charge for our uh, quality department, uh, Kim Bocchalupo, um, she's been with us probably 15 years and she has an incredible palate and aroma 
um, capability for diastole. So anytime we have an issue with a particular beer, nothing gets done until Kim evaluates it. Because we can run instruments and we can do all sorts of stuff and we can get data on some sort of piece of equipment. But it, when it all comes down, it, it's the human palate and the human uh, nose, uh, all those things, your eyes, all that kind of stuff that actually really matters. And so um, like our sensory department is probably, it's almost, I would say it's probably 50-50 male, female. Yeah, but it sort of follows on a bit, almost like a segue uh, to Peter's question, which is about the, particularly the hop harvest beer, uh, you know, what kinds of flavours are you getting there that perhaps don't reach us by the time it gets to Australia? So that's obviously a beer that I presume you, you more or less make and put on tap pretty much straight away. Um, you know, do you, have, do you ever have concerns about shipping beers around the world? Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons we try to ship, well, we do ship refrigerated is to try to keep it as fresh as possible. Uh, I'll tell you today, you know, we were tasting, um, we do a flavor alignment profile between uh, beer that is roughly packaged on the same date in North Carolina versus same recipe in Chico. And we had a couple beers that were, and obviously you're going to get them way older than this, but 60 days old. And, um, you know, they don't taste that way. Like I, I, I always find that our beers are roughly, um, they're pretty stable to 90 days to 150 days, depending on the style of beer they are. Uh, some of them are a year for sure. Like all, all the barrel age beers you're tasting, same thing Siren and I are tasting. So, um, and they're great. Um, but, but yeah, that, that, that's always kind of an issue. Um, and my personal opinion, uh, if, if I was down there and, and this is not, you know, I, I would taste age in, in probably the torpedo and the, uh, other beers that are more kind of designed to be fresh beers. Um, but that's, that's what I'm trained to do. And that's what I do. Um, but if you enjoy them, you enjoy them and, Cheers. Well, certainly, I think, I think particularly with the Northern Hemisphere, you start to get some of those multi-flavors coming through, mm. and you, you realize how well-made the beer is when you get some right. of that. You maybe don't get some of those initial hops that would have been right. there. Well, and like I was saying, is that, that huge rose character that I love in that beer, probably that's probably gone. It's, it's there, but um, look, we've got one more, one more question, which is from Jeff, and I think this is for our friend Owen, who's going to come and visit soon which is when you go to Chico, are there, what else are you going to do in town? Should you go to the water park? Should you um, go and visit Byron's Goats? Uh, are there other breweries? <laughs> what, you know, what should our friend be doing when he, when he makes the drive up? Well, the, the goat tour costs a lot of money. I'm just going to say. <laughs> that, that's the invitation only. Um, I'm surprised that fact is made. It's hilarious. It's actually one of my little breaks hurting them around and getting back to where they're supposed to be. Um, you know, we, we've rebooted the, the tour program. Um, we are offering public tours. They're uh, a little bit different. But what we've done is we've, we've changed our tasting room into what's now called the Brewhouse Bar. 
And one of the fun experiences is that everybody that's working at Brewhouse Bar is one of our tour guides that's really, really trained in everything about the beer and can describe the beer. So one thing we kind of, you know, with Chico growing so big is that, you know, you come to a brewery and you want to talk to somebody about the beer. And when you're at a, a huge restaurant like ours, you know, there there's not as much training that happens in the service industry. So what we're offering now is that side um, has everybody that, you know, that knows the beer and we're working on getting everybody to know about the beer, but you can come have that little intimate experience that, you know, all of us expect to go to a brewery and learn everything about the beer. Um, and we've also added uh, a Sierra Nevada themed Ms. Pac-Man game where uh, they're all hop dots. The torpedoes are power pellets. Uh, there's 8-bit Ken Grossman. There's 8-bit Ruthless Rye. Uh, I'm an 8-bit Narwhal and Terrence is an 8-bit uh, Bigfoot ghost. And at the beginning, my, we're all involved come out. And, my, yeah, my, son, my, my son uh, thinks I've reached the pinnacle of my career because I'm in a video game. Uh, yeah, I, I think so too. I, not, not I, I, I'm done. I, I, my, I've accomplished, we've accomplished everything we can, Terrence. Okay. I will also point out we have uh, three other breweries in town. Uh, you would want to go to Secret Trail. Um, he makes some amazing, in, in my opinion, very good loggers. Uh, he has a Dortmunder. Hopefully it's on tap when you're there because that's really killer. It's called Secret Trail. Um, we have uh, NorCal Brewing uh, that is a very small brewery in town. Um, he makes excellent beers, uh, as well as one of our former brewers, Roland Allen, has uh, just down the street, walking distance from our location, uh, is um, is his brewery. What is it called, Byron? Damn it! He just Mulberry uh, Station. Mulberry Station. That's right. Yeah. Um, so Mulberry Station. Uh, I would say, if you are coming to visit and you have a little bit of time. Um, and you have a rental car is uh, drive the Feather River Canyon up 70, uh, go up to some of our mountain towns uh, and visit Chester, Lake Almanor, maybe even um, uh, Mount Lassen uh, National Park, which is the least visited national park in the entire United States that is absolutely amazing. It's got sulfur pits and uh great hiking mountain lakes um it's beautiful it's uh it's god's country up there um it's it's a wonderful end i mean owen's got the uh the the best tour guides in the world so we're uh we're very grateful for that we we had when david was out talking to all the other davids uh in the room we, we had one other comment it wasn't even a question and i reckon i know which david this was but there was one who, who just literally said, thank you for making such amazing beer. And uh, the, the, the pale ales in particular uh, got him through lockdowns, of which we had six or seven in Melbourne. Uh, so he's appreciative. Uh, the room that we're in, in a minute, I'll just take you out so that the, uh, you can see everyone sort of saying thank you. But particularly from me and from Phoenix and from Beer Deluxe, a huge thank you for making yourselves available for such a long period of time over at your end. And um, as I said last time here on the podcast, the, the idea that I was, would one day be able to sit down and, and talk to you guys live while tasting 
any of your beers would have blown my mind. The fact that we've upped the ante this time and had these super rare, super fun beers is just one of the biggest honours in my beer drinking life, and I mean that very seriously. No, uh, and this means a lot to me too. So, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully I showed a little bit of my passion for the industry. Uh, I have a little bit and uh, I, I just love, I, I love sharing Sierra Nevada story, my story, uh, my passion for beer uh, with like-minded people. And, and I really appreciate you putting all the, the effort into this and putting it together because it, it means the world to me. So, I'm going I'm to mute my microphone so that things don't feed back and I'll take you out into the other room and people can give you a round of applause. Right on. And that's where we're going to leave the recording from our wonderful afternoon with Sierra Nevada. Uh, we stayed at Beer Deluxe for a long, long time. Their hospitality was fantastic. Uh, they've always got some really fun beers on there. I suspect all of the Sierra Nevada kegs well, well have truly disappeared, but uh, that event, along with the hair of the dog and the uh, friends not food dinners that we've had there in the last few months, have been fantastic. A, a huge shout out to the staff uh, and particularly to Talina in the kitchen. Um, just amazing food. Get down there when you can and uh, say that the cool room sent you. That will almost certainly not get you a discount, but it lets them know uh, just how much uh, you guys care about the podcast and that we've referred you on. Maybe that'll help us do some more events down there in the near future. Uh, stick around. The next episode we're going to be having is with Collective Arts, and they had some amazing beers. Don't forget to check out the Shopify, grab the Narwhal, grab the Celebration Ale, and uh, see what else is lurking around in the special bits of the Cool Room Shopify. <laughs>